thinking of what other questions they may ask Jesus when he was a youth teaching in the, in the temple. Have to be about my father's business. We'll say, you know, are you a, are you a uh, you know, pre-trib, mid-trib? And you'd look at them like they had two heads. And are you really going to rise from the dead? You know, it's just going to be spiritual resurrection in the lives of your disciples. Seems absurd when we think about Jesus himself, right? You don't really mean what you say you're going to, you mean, right? We're in Revelation chapter 22. You can look there if you'd like. And we will pick up in this our, our last, Lord willing, study as we work our way through the end of this book. I hope that it's been enriching for you. I hope you've... Um, been encouraged that this is a book that you can study, that you can uh, cross-reference it and understand what it says, and it's told us to study it and to listen to it and to be blessed in doing those things, apply it. And so I hope that you've been encouraged and uh, will be more inclined to open it up and dig in. But last time we were together, Jesus uh, was speaking directly to those who uh, have had an opportunity to read and study the book and kind of some closing comments. And as has been our habit... Let's just read through the text we looked at last time to get our minds on the time and the circumstance. There's an angel which has been with John for quite a while now and uh, is giving John confidence that despite the wonderful and awful and sometimes unbelievable things that he has seen, uh, all these things are certainly true and not only that, they are shortly going to take place. So look at chapter 22, if you would, in verse 6. And he said to me, this is the angel speaking to John. He's been showing John the new Jerusalem, the vision of the eternal state. And what does he say first? He says, these words are faithful and true. And as we said last time, that gives us an assurance that although the things given to uh, us seem to be too good to be true, they indeed are. Now, once again, as is our habit, you can find these notes on the back of the notes you're currently taking filled in. So you can make some notes around them if that's helpful for you. But it gives us some assurance that these things are coming. And they're for sure true, and the one who spoke them is true. And look at the rest of verse 6. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, or the life or the breath of the, of the prophets, the one who speaks through them, sent his angel to show to his bondservants. So stop right there. Speaking, of course, uh, we're referencing once again the beginning of the book, those who were part of the seven churches of Asia Minor. Those were the initial recipients of this book. As a result of John being carried along by the Holy Spirit, he pens this letter The seven churches in Asia Minor get this letter first, other churches then, and on right on down to us. And we get it as well. But he shows his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And this, of course, everything that has been given to John, all the things he's been talking about that are future, must soon take place. With this prophecy, John's told by the angel uh, that soon is the operative word. The word is for us and every generation, of course, that's read this passage. uh, Right on down to us, it's sooner for them still than the one before. Now look at verse 7. And behold, he says, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And it's one of the great truths of all of the scriptures that the Lord is coming. Uh, Blessedness is promised to those who treasure and preserve, and very importantly because uh, it's the application uh, that's uh, of the previous two live really in light of of this prophetic book. And so we live that way. We understand this is the case. We organize our lives in such a way as we've been talking about on Sunday morning Uh, that the priorities of our life, all the things of our life, are aligned with the uh, things that the Lord wants us to be concerned about. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. This is the second time John does this. It really just lends to uh, the reliability of this book 
it, it shows all the faux pas plus all the good stuff. It doesn't leave any parts out. A, bush, uh, a, a book that was more uh, on the shady side would probably try to scrub everything up and make everybody look spiritual, but this book never does that. And you get to see all the bumps just like we see in ourselves. And so that makes the book very reliable. Again, just one of those things. Verse 9, But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. And who's that? Who's the ones that heed the word of the book? Uh, that's believers, right? That goes hand in hand. If you're a believer, you obey. And you heed the words of the book. And so angels are fellow or co-laborers together with the brethren who heed the words of this book. And so that's a marvelous thought, isn't it? And all through the ages, all believers of all the ages have all had working along with the angels to accomplish the will of the one who gave us the book. Now, verse 10, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. And, of course, last time we contrasted that with Daniel 12, verse 4, which we're going to get into in just several weeks, where he actually told Daniel, Conceal these words and seal them up, for they're at a time far off. It's going to be a long time, Daniel, before these things will happen. We'll hear he tells John, don't seal these up. Make sure everybody knows these and don't think that they're just, you're going to be sitting on them for a while. You won't. The time is near. Now look at verse 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. The one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. And just in general, the observation, we went into this last time, that uh, as one is found in that day, uh, so he's going to be for eternity. So death or the coming of the Lord really fixes one's character uh, and eternal destiny. Jesus' return is imminent. That's what they're talking about. And here it's likely speaking of his glorious appearing uh, because at that point, the de- uh, the, whatever you, wherever you are at that point is sealed. Uh, and as we have seen, as we saw last week, similar warnings of the rapture uh, to not deny the truth. Don't put off the decision to repent. Second Thessalonians 2, 7-12 through 12, because we know what's going to happen. Don't put that decision off. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This whole time, the tribulation time is what? It's wrath. The Lord says it over and over, doesn't he? That it is the wrath of the Lord being poured out on the earth. You have not been destined for wrath, but destined for salvation uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. So those encouragements not to ignore the fact the Lord is coming, and that it, at some point in time, these warnings will be too late. And an offer uh, shouldn't refuse is coming up. Look at verse 12. We're going to dig right in right now in our time that uh, is left. And I admit to you that finishing up this book is bittersweet for me. I love this book. I've loved the, the study that we've had together. And so it's always uh, bittersweet. But it's kind of fun, too, that it's our first book we've completed together studying. So that's kind of a nice milestone, too. So look at verse 12. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly. That's a real attention-getter. Behold or look. Uh, very cool uh, response. Regardless of whatever one says, uh, he's going to come quickly. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Same thought, Isaiah 40. I just read part of that to you. Can anyone not know by now that the Lord uh, is going to return? Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is, this is such a sweet verse, with him and his recompense before him. Isn't that a great verse? There's a number of passages in the scripture that speak that almost that same, same exact language. We're going to see one in just a minute. But I'd like you to hold your finger here. Would you hold your finger in Revelation? Turn to 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3. And just, you know, here, here is uh, 
John's got this angel tutor, and he's speaking the words the Lord wants him to speak through the carrying of the Holy Spirit. And he's, in verse 12, he's wrapping up these thoughts, and he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Look at 2 Peter 3, if you would, verse 3. And we'll read 3 through 9. And, because this is the age we live in, really. It's always been that way, uh, the way we're going to read. But all the more now, I think, as we're closing in on that date when the Lord will appear and, and catch away the church, I think that uh, it's even more this way now. And yet, Certainly, I, I know that you think this when you read things and see things going on. But uh, know this, first of all, that in the last days... Now, remember, when Jesus came uh, at, in his baby in the manger, that was the beginning of the last days. Okay, And so now that we're this far uh, along we realize we're all the closer to the very last days. But in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. So it's always connected with sinfulness and, and uh, false teachers and uh, people who are liars. But th- those who follow after their own lust, verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, speaking of the patriarchs, speaking of those who uh, penned the words of Scripture, uh, ancestors have fallen asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And that's not exactly true, is it? Look at verse 5. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So God created everything. Verse 6. Through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. So they're ignoring all of the other uh, things that have occurred. Of course, that's just completely denied by people today. No way. Uh, I'm so glad that uh, Answers in Genesis is doing the Ark Project. I don't know if you've kept up with this, uh, but the Answers in Genesis has purchased some property about 40 miles from the Creation Museum, which I hope to take our church on a trip there sometime in the future. But they're building a, a full-size mo- uh, uh, Ark. And, of course, they, they uh, continue to teach what Genesis teaches, that the world was destroyed by a flood. And so people come and they mock and say, everything's just the same as it's always been, and there wasn't a big flood and all of that. Uh, of course, that can only be said in the last days because, you know, in the days of Abraham and, and those guys, you weren't that far from the flood. And you kind of look around and say, well, yeah, that happened, you know, look at all this stuff that happened because of the flood. But here we can easily say that, I guess, and, uh, and get away with it and just be, uh, just forget those things. But anyway, so in the last days, time's going to come. People will mock this whole thing. The Lord's not going to come back. Verse 7, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. So, by the Lord's own word, he said this numerous times, the present heaven and earth are going to be destroyed by fire. We've looked at that uh, in our study together. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 8, but do not let this one fact escape your notice. What is that? Beloved, that the, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not constrained to time and space like we are. And as it stretches out, we keep thinking, well, man, it's been a long time, but for the Lord, it's not a long time. And someday, and I like to think about this too, someday you'll be, and I will be in eternity, and one day will be like a thousand years, and a thousand years will be like one day for us too. Isn't that cool? That someday our time, we're not going to be constrained in time and space like we are now. And that's kind of hard to adjust to, isn't it? Because everything we know about our life is marked off in days and, and what happened last week and what was a cool thing that happened in my life and where I'm going next year or whatever. But someday uh, that's not going to be. But it's always been that way for the Lord. And so not to worry just because it's been a while. Uh, a thousand years like one day. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. So the Lord's not just slack. He's not just kind of sitting up there thinking, ah, I'm not that worried about it. Uh, but is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
That's a great thought, isn't it? That's the Lord's thought about those who live on the earth, those he's created, even those the ones that mock, even those that think uh, the Lord's not coming and everything's like it is and it's always going to be this way. It's never going to change. The Lord has said he is going to return. And so John in, in chapter 22, verse 12 says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. You can flip back there if you would. And then listen, verse 12, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Now you're back there. My reward, he says, is with me. Just what we read in Isaiah 40, verse 10. My reward is with me. Now, there's a couple of times when rewards are going to come, just like uh, we saw first death and second death, just like we saw uh, being raptured and all those types of things. Uh, listen to, just listen to a couple of things. I think it'll help kind of line it out. My reward is with me for the saints, okay? For the saints, for the church, rewards come at the judgment seat of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. You can make that little note there if you'd like. Uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, that's the reward for the saints. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 actually says that very thing. Uh, that that is uh, the time of reward, a time where the Lord will judge. In fact, you can turn uh, you can turn there. I'll just read it to you. Second Corinthians, five ten. Got a little bit of time, so I don't want to skip over this too quickly because it's so sweet. Uh, verse ten. For we must, and, and Paul here in his context is speaking to believers. He says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done." Very important, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, our sins were born on the cross. So we're not judging for sin here. The judgment seat of Christ, reckon, people will be reckoned according to what they've done. Believers, how they've spent their time, uh, whether in, uh, in uh, efforts and works that were for eternity or ones that were just uh, temporal. And the Lord will judge all of that out and make uh, that clear. Uh, secondly, the, those uh, alive at the glorious appearing of Christ, so those who come into uh, the tribulation period as believers and make it through or become believers during the tribulation time and make it through to the glorious appearing of Christ, uh, they, their judgment will come at the judgment of nations. Behold I'm, behold, I'm coming quickly. My recompense is with me. My reward is with me. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Really talk about that. Close of the tribulation time. The judgment of nations is the time where the Lord gives out. And there he just talks about, you gave a glass of water, you did all these types of things that identified you as those who believe, and it was obvious by your actions whose you were. And so the judgment comes there. And then for the wicked dead, uh, you know, he comes, his reward is with him. For the wicked dead, they'll come, their reward will come at the great white throne judgment. And once again, um, that's the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. Great white throne judgment comes, and the recompense comes at that point. Uh, to render, verse 12, look back in uh, Romans chapter 20, verse 12, uh, to render to each man according to what he has done. All of them, all of those things we just read, everything about the judgment seat of Christ, the glorious appearing of Christ, the judgment of nations, uh, the great white throne judgment, all those have to do and all have words that say to recompense or to give according to what has been done. So here's the question. Do you get into heaven by works? It's not, it's, that's not the implication, is it? It's just that, like we've always said, the righteous show they're righteous by doing what? Righteous work. It's, ob, it's a one-to-one. -one. When, when you've been redeemed, you are being used by the Lord to do righteous works. It's your habit of life. Every day, of course, you're stumbling, you're wrestling with uh, residual presence of sin in the flesh. But on the whole, your life track is righteousness. You desire to do righteousness. You desire to be obedient. And so you show by that that whose you belong to, and the unrighteous the same way. The unrighteous show they're unrighteous by doing unrighteous works, so the Lord can judge according to work. And so he uses that analogy many times in the Scripture, and I think that's pretty clear, and I think you've got that. Now, look at verse 13. 
So it's a great, that's a great thought right there. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And uh, just thinking as I read through that again this evening, is there any question as to whether he can perform all that he says he can do? Right? I mean, it just kind of sums up, look, all power is, is uh, possessed by me, all authority, everything is possessed by me. Um, you have uh, all confidence that I can do exactly what I say I'm going to do. This is the Lord speaking. I can do exactly what I say I'm going to do. It really confirms his authority and his ability. We can be rest assured, these, all these things will come to pass. He's going to come quickly. His reward is going to be with him. He's kept track of everything. Remember when we talked about uh, the great white throne judgment. All the books are open, right? Everything that's ever been said, everything that's ever been done by the, by the wicked dead, all the things that the, perhaps they thought were going to get them in good favor with the Lord or obligate the Lord in some way uh, to give them heaven because of their goodness. And the Lord's going to take all that into account. Everything they've ever said, all that they've ever done, all by works, and he has the authority and he has the ability to do it. He's kept track of all those things. And what a blessedness then on the other side for those of us who've been redeemed. And I'll tell you, this morning as I was singing those songs, and I just mentioned just briefly how much I appreciated uh, some of the songs Alex picked out this morning, and that how, in, how poorly we sing of the marvelous love of Jesus in this body, but how great that salvation is, that we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. And that should never grow old for us, right? And we should let, keep that fresh in your mind. What a marvelous thought that is. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin. And forever. And we don't have to answer to all those things that were written in the book because our name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And all of our debt was canceled and paid for by Christ on the cross. So it's a marvelous thought. I'm the Alpha and Omega. That's the authority and the ability. And there are many such verses like this. And I'd like to continue to... These are ones that you know, are songs uh, or should be songs that we can lift up and pray to the Lord. Psalm 62:11. Once God has spoken twice, I've heard this, that power belongs to God. Isn't that great? Uh, the psalmist just says, look, I, I've heard this many times. I know power, true power, authority belongs to God. Nahum 1, 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And that's good, isn't it? <laughs> he has huge power, but slow to anger. I like that balance, don't you? And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He will in no way leave the guilty unpunished. And I think that people hope for that, don't they? They try to get through life. They won't receive Christ. They won't submit to Him. They won't bow knee to Him. And they're hoping that some way the guilty will go unpunished, but it's not going to happen. Job 9, verse 4, Wise in heart, mighty in strength, who has defied Him without harm? And what's the rhetorical answer? No one. Isaiah 43, 13, Even from eternity I am He. And there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, the Lord says, and who can reverse it? That's the Lord we serve. That's the one that gave us this message in the book of Revelation. Deuteronomy 32, 39. These are just great passages. You can just jot down like a couple of words there that can remind you of the passage. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I am He, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. How sovereign is that? Control of all those things. And we could just go on like this all night. I mean, there's so many that are just so great and so encouraging. 
but who does Jesus want to be there? Let's, let's look at verse 14 of Revelation 22. Who's Jesus desiring to be there? Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. So who does Christ want there? Everyone, right? Blessed are those who wash their robes. That's a figure of speech that describes what? Salvation. Blessed are those who wash their robes. But will everyone do it? No. Everyone will not. Salvation comes by symbolically washing the robe in the blood of the Lamb. Now look at verse 15. What do those who don't wash their robes look like? Look at verse 15 with me, if you would. Outside, that's literally the word for away or foreign, uh, foreign or outside or away are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. And once again, it's not an exhaustive list of the works of the unrighteous. Uh, in fact, that same word is used, uh, Paul pursues, it says, uh, people into even foreign cities. When Paul was persecuting the church, the same word is used, uh, those on the outside or those believers who ran to foreign cities, Paul pursued them. So here the word is just outside of all of this, uh, not included in this marvelous eternal state, not the beneficiary of being in God's presence. Uh, none of those things belong to those who are on the outside, the works of unrighteousness. That's the life pattern of those who are unwashed. And there's always a need continually to warn people of the gravity of their condition. It's uh, kind of like the illustration I use sometimes in the opening statements of a funeral. Um, as a pastor, you want to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. That's what you want to do. Even though uh, you may be teaching, uh, you may be, uh, in, in South Florida, I was on the list for a number of the funeral homes to just come and do uh, funerals for those who didn't have church homes. And uh, people would ask me, are you going to give the gospel? Absolutely. I would never miss that opportunity. Well, they don't care about it. Well, that doesn't matter because someday they will, see. And you come to the, there's nothing I can do about the person who's right here. Uh, their choice is sealed, whatever that was, but I can do a lot uh, about giving the gospel out to those who remain. And so that's really constantly, it's our job to constantly do that. Part of the gospel is the bad news. That's the beginning. The bad news that we're separated from the Lord, that we're sinful, and that we're deserving of judgment. We break his law every day. He has the right to judge us, we already are under a curse. And there's no escape in your, own, in your own work from any of that. And your own deeds show forth that you're in unrighteousness. And, but the Lord, because of his great mercy, has allowed all that to fall on his son. The payment for all of your sin can fall on his son. And so we always want to warn, and once again, even at the very end of this book, after all the things we've seen, we see this last warning. Outside, listen, regardless of what you may think, whether your works are going to get you there, regardless of all of those things that your imaginations that the Lord somehow will overlook what you've done and overlook the fact that he sacrificed his own son on our behalf, outside of all of that, realize that you're not going to get in, you're not going to be there apart from a relationship with Christ. So, a very clear warning once again as we see all the way through Scripture, bad news, good news. Now look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. Once again, it's tied right back to the message of the churches that we saw early on in our study of Revelation. It's directed to the churches. 
Angels don't do whatever they want to do. They do the bidding of the Lord. In particular, these angels that we've seen throughout who've spoken, they have been sent to John with specific purposes. And the churches here are the seven mentioned at the beginning. And, of course, those churches continue to repeat all the way down through the church age. We see those trademarks of the churches we see in Revelation in the modern churches today. And so this message is for the churches. It has a future part, which just once again shows us that we're interpreting it correctly. It's for them. What would be the point if it had already taken place? See, this is for the churches. It's directed to them. This is going to happen. Be ready. Be, let this message be your active message. And just inter- interesting, it, the church has neglected this message probably more than any other one. And this is the one that was directed to the churches. It's the one that gets skipped over the most. Now look at verse um, 16. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. That's great, isn't it? Uh, Jesus is the source of David and his, and his offspring. And we know that. We've seen that in the Psalms a number of times. I'm the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. He's fully God who gives life, fully man, uh, the descendant of David. And here comes this last invitation. It's going to come right here. It's an offer. I just say it's just an offer you shouldn't refuse. And what an invitation it is. So let's dig in here. It's the same one you've heard before. It's the same one that's come down all through the ages of time. Uh, it's the same one we heard in Isaiah chapter 1. Remember Isaiah chapter 1, you remember these marvelous words. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be what? White as snow. And though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Here it comes. Verse 17, Revelation 22. What's it say? The Spirit and the bride say what? Come. That's the answer. That the Holy Spirit, who's the bride? That's the church, right? Gives to Jesus in his opening statement. He says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Jesus says that. And then what is the answer back from the Spirit and the church? Come. Behold, I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me. And the church always echoes back. So come. We're ready. We want you to come. Those who have received the gift of life from Jesus are always going to call for him to come. That's always inside our own hearts. We very much want the Lord to return. Always calling for him to come. And we see also that at this point, the invitation is still open, don't we? We understand as the book is beginning to close, uh, it's still open. And whenever people read this, it'll still be open. If they read it now, it's open. But if you die in your sin, it's too late. You could read it today, die in your sin this evening, and you miss the opportunity. No guarantees for tomorrow. If they read it during the tribulation, it'll still be open, won't it? But they may believe a lie first. That's what the scripture says. They'll become a deceiver who, who... will bring a lie, even if it were possible, to deceive the elect. So the lie is a pretty convincing one. So you may read, somebody may be in the tribulation, they may read that very verse, where the Lord says, I'm coming quickly, and the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And they may read that, but you may believe a lie before that and be condemned in their sin. Or you may die in one of the judgments and not be able to receive Christ. But once Christ comes in His glorious appearing, that's it. It's too late. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. The Lord Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. And he comes in his glorious appearing. It's sealed. So, if Jesus says, Lord, I'm coming quickly, the Spirit and the Bride are supposed to say, come. Are you saying come? Because we're the Bride, aren't we? And we're supposed to be doing that. Over and over in the Scriptures, again, we're encouraged. We're supposed to be saying come and giving the invitation. Verse 17, and let the one who hears say what? Look at verse 17. What's the one who here is supposed to say? 
Anybody who hears the prophecy should echo the words, Come, Jesus. Because that's a reality for our future. It's already a set time in our future. The Lord has unfolded all of this, and He knows when that day is, but for sure it is set there, ready to happen. So we might as well just say come, because it's as sure as He's already here. It's an open offer of grace, and when you hear it, you turn around to somebody else and you just say, come, right? Verse 17, And let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost Isn't that great? It sounds again like Isaiah 55. I'll put it up there. One of my favorite passages. I think I've got it. Don't I have it? Yes, right there. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, the Lord says, and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. All that pointing towards, of course, the Lord providing the needs of his people, but more more importantly, the spiritual needs of his people. And the scriptures won't close without another opportunity to respond. But what's unique about this is this is the last, it's the last invitation. That's it. There's no more after that. Let's back up. This is the last one. Come, come to Christ, come and drink, it says. Come and partake of salvation. Uh, But this is the last time, because when Christ comes in His glorious appearing, that's it. There won't be any more time to come. Remember verse 11. Back there just a little bit, remember? We just looked at it just a minute ago. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong or do wrong still. Let him who is vile continue to be vile or to be vile still. Let him who does right continue to do right, and let him who is holy continue to be holy. What's that mean? It's just when Christ comes, as we've said, there'll be no more opportunity to change your destiny. What you are then, you'll be forever. And I'm saying it a few times because the tremendous implication of the verse. Look at verse 17 again. And let he, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost, it says, come. And the message of the Bible is complete. It needs no collaboration from anyone. Look at verse 18. And Jesus solemnly warns everyone. He says, verse 18, I testify to everyone, Revelation 22, 18, who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Verse 19, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Now, who's he speaking to? Well, particularly to unbelievers. Okay, because uh, are believers under wrath? No. Right? Can believers lose their salvation? No, not even if they think they can, right? They can't lose their salvation. So, uh, but it's still a warning, though, to believers to handle the book carefully. And obviously, we've been given that admonition as believers many times as well. Uh, but here, there's too much at stake. So a very solemn warning, one which the, all true to the, everybody who's true to the Word of God is to handle, you handle it carefully. Deuteronomy 4.2, you shall not add a word. We see this. A number of times, you shall not add a word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Whatever I say, just do it. That's basically what he's saying. Uh, Deuteronomy 12:32. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add or take away from it. He told the prophets, I'm going to give you these things to say. Don't let any of the words drop to the ground. Make sure you speak all the things I'm going to tell you. Proverbs 30, verse 6 Uh, Do not add to his words or he'll reprove you and you'll be proved a liar. 
Right? That's to the believer, isn't it? Don't add to the words. He's going to reprove you. You'll be shown to be false. Jeremiah 26.2 Thus say the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah who have come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I've commanded to you to speak to them, do not admit, omit, rather, a word. Those are the admonitions constantly to believers here in Revelation 22.18. We have those to non-believers. Uh, don't add or subtract. Don't try to take away uh, because believers aren't under wrath. Believers can't lose their salvation. So uh, the admonition is there. Now look at verse 20, Revelation 22. He who testifies, who's that? That's Jesus, to these things. And what things? That's the contents of this book. Says, yes, I am coming when? Quickly. And John says that everyone else says, and you can say it together with me, right? Amen what? Come. Amen. That's what we're supposed to say. That's the prompting, isn't it? Uh, Can you say, Lord Jesus, come, I'm ready? Are you ready to say that? Because everyone who has partaken of the Spirit can say that. And we're supposed to say that. We're compelled to say that. Marvelous thought. Now, before we read the very last verse of the New Testament, I thought we'd read the very last verse of the Old Testament. All right? So turn Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Turn there, if you would. Let's look at the very last thoughts in the Old Testament. We'll look then at the very last thoughts in the New Testament as we've looked just now. Malachi chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. Once again, always a warning, right? For those who walk in iniquity, those who walk in disobedience. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Verse 2, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. The Lord always deals differently with the wicked and the righteous, doesn't he? Always differently. Verse 3, you will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day in which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 4, remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And so ends the Old Testament. Then 400 silent years. And then what happened? Then Christ came. Right? And the beginning of the last days began. And many of the things that Malachi said still hold forth for our future. Uh, Certainly the, the judgment by fire and all those things. Jesus comes. He dies. He rises. He ascends. And we wait for his return. And John can say, Revelation 22, 21, the New Testament ending, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. Amen. So for those who can say with John, even so, Lord, come quickly, how should they then live? 
Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Flip over there. It's important, I guess, that we understand we wait for the Lord to come. We don't want to be like those who say, even so, Lord, come quickly. And the Lord says, why? In Isaiah, why do you want me to come? It's going to be judgment for you. We want to be those who receive him, faithful servants. What's a faithful servant look like who waits for the Lord? Second Peter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are to be destroyed, in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Holy in holy conduct and godliness, obviously. Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Desiring it to come, spreading the word, passing on the words come, hastening the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with an intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. If that's all true, verse 13, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, both in our spiritual relationship to the Lord and in our conduct. Verse 15, and regard the patience of our Lord. This is great. Once again, we see this over and over again. What is it? As salvation, right? Regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, verse 16, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort. We just had a warning just a minute ago at the end of the book of Revelation, what's going to happen to those who distort it and mess it up. As they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. Verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, so it's knowledge the Lord wants us to have to impact how we're going to respond, be on your guard, so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, those that we looked at just a little bit ago, right, who come and forget that the Lord just made the world and destroyed it with a flood and all of that, and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Holy Spirit controlled, right? We looked at that maybe three weeks ago on Sunday morning. Growing in grace, that's just a prompting to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There once was a spider who lived in a cornfield. He's a big spider. He spun a beautiful web between the corn stalks. He got fat eating all the bugs that got caught in his web. He liked his home. He planned to stay there for the rest of his life. One day the spider caught a little bug in his web and just as the spider was about to eat him, the bug said, if you let me go, I'll tell you something important that will save your life. The spider paused for a few moments, listened because he was amused. Better get out of this cornfield, the bug said. The harvest is coming. The spider smiled and said, what's this harvest you're talking about? I think you're just telling me a story. The little bug said, oh no, it's true. The owner of this field is coming to the harvest very soon. All the stalks will be knocked down and the corn will be gathered up and you'll be killed by the giant machines if you stay here. The spider said, I don't believe in harvests and giant machines that knock down corn stalks. How can you prove this? The little bug continued, just look at the corn. See how it's planted in rows? It proves the field was created by someone. The spider laughed and mockingly said, the field's evolved. It has nothing to do with the creator. Corn always grows 
this way. The bug went on to explain, oh no, this field belongs to the owner who planted it, and the harvest is coming soon. The spider grinned and said to the little bug, I don't believe you, and the spider ate the little bug for lunch. A few days later, the spider was laughing about the story the bug had told him. He thought to himself, a harvest, what a silly idea. I've lived here all my life, and nothing's ever disturbed me. I've been here since these stocks were just a foot off the ground, and I'll be here for the rest of my life because nothing is ever going to change in this field. Life is good, and I have it made. The next day was a beautiful sunny day in the cornfield. The sky above was clear. There was no wind at all. The afternoon, as the spider was about to take a nap, he noticed some thick dust clouds moving toward him. He could hear the roar of the great engine. He said to himself, I wonder what that could be. Be dismissed in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time we could be together. Thank you for your word. We're so grateful for it. We thank you for a study that we could uh, take. And, and Lord, even in the uh, ineptitude of the teacher, we still could be blessed by the reading of your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it brings to us, for the additional knowledge and uh, your own nature and how you deal with those who are wicked and those who are righteous. With something of uh, chronology for our future and for those who dwell on the earth, Lord, we know that this is a temporary place. Help us to live like it's temporary. Even in the midst of providing for the needs of our family and doing the things we have to do daily in this life by way of our jobs and, and all of our responsibilities. Help us not to be carried away by the things that are only temporal. And help us not to be disillusioned by the difficult times that may come, as we saw this morning. Recognizing they are just a lighted temporary affliction for a moment. So Lord, we look forward to our eternity with you. And in the meantime, help us to be found faithful servants saying, even so, Lord Jesus, come. And we give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.